0: Now, as we worship today, I just want to thank you for having a great week of Bible School and, uh, and whatever you did, whether you just stayed at home and prayed for us or whether you were here and actively involved, uh, you were part of Bible School and you made it happen. It was a great week. And we focused on the theme, a uh, Game On, and it was about athletic competition. And we also focused on the fact that as we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're on God's team. And in that, when we have that relationship with Him, then He provides for us what we need. And that's an important concept for us. The more and more I read the verse for this week and thought about that verse, it began to sink into me. And this was our verse this week out of 2 Peter one three, and this is the uh, Christian Standard Bible version. And so I'm not quite familiar with it, but it's what we're using today because our children use this all week long. But it says, His divine power has given us, uh, listen to this phrase, everything required. Everything required for life and godliness. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, that's good to know that we can be adequately provided for with everything that we need for life and godliness. Because we live in a world that has a lot of demands on us. Parents have a lot of demands. Adults have a lot of demands on them you got to work, you got to provide for the family, you've got to take care of your family, you've got to do all those things that are important. Children, our kids have a lot of pressure on them, a lot of demands on them. At school and athletic competition, peer pressure It's getting worse all the time. But God's promise to us is that through His divine power, He's given us everything that was required for life and godliness. That means that all of His promises for us are sufficient. And that's what I want us to talk about today. Because when we come to to know Jesus Christ in faith and commit our life to Him, then we are on God's team and we have God's power in our life. And all of His provisions are adequate and sufficient for whatever we face in life. Now, I want to do a quick recap about what what our children learned this week and how they went through that learning process. So, uh, every day in Bible study, these things were emphasized. First of all is that God... God uh, cares about me and gives me hope. There it is. God cares about me and gives me hope. We learn that God loves us and through Jesus Christ he showed that great care and concern for us. And, and that he, through the forgiveness of our sins we have a wonderful abundant life. In John 10.10 10, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he gives us hope. A lot of people look for hope in a lot of different places in this world. But the only real hope, the true hope that you can have for life is found in Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter would say in 1 Peter 1.3 that in his great mercy, that's God, has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we affirm in Bible study that Jesus cares about me and gives me hope. Then we affirmed also that Jesus helps us believe. He helps me believe. I wonder about that. Well, how does Jesus help me believe? I thought if I believe then I come to Jesus. Well, you know, we have a struggle in that. You remember in in the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus that when the disciples were gathered and Jesus appeared to them, there was one by the name of Thomas who wasn't there. And the other disciples told Thomas about that. The Lord's resurrected. He was there. We saw him. And what did Thomas say? Thomas said, unless I can see the prince and put my hand there and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And so Jesus came back when Thomas was there. And he said, here it is, Thomas. Put your hands here if you need to feel this and touch this. And so he helped Thomas believe, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. So studied about the fact that that God uh, helps us, Jesus Christ helps us believe. And then the last thing we looked at was Jesus loves me, and he gives me joy. The children have sung about that joy and they've sung about that hope. And it was a wonderful joy to hear them this week every day in, in the worship rally as they celebrated the fact that no matter what our circumstances are, that we know that Jesus loves us and he gives us joy and that God has a plan for our life. One day in the Bible study, Jeremiah 29, 11 was affirmed. And that is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So our week of celebration was around this theme that God provides everything for us in life and godliness that we will need. So you wrap that up, you put it in a nutshell, and it simply says that all of God's promises are sufficient for our life. Now, that's a simple statement to make, but yet it's a bold statement to make. But how can we really believe that? How can we get our hands of faith around that so that we can absolutely believe that every promise that God promises, he provides for us and that they are all sufficient for our life? Well, if you think back all the way through the Bible, God has been making promises. Somebody has counted them and said that there are about 7,000 promises in the Bible. And I think that depends upon whether you really separate between a promise or a principle. And sometimes there's almost just like a razor's edge difference between those two things. So let's say that there are lots and lots of promises in the Bible. I think the most important one that we can claim for today that sets the stage for understanding that all of God's promises are sufficient for our life is back after the flood. Remember the flood event, the whole world was flooded and every civilization has a recorded incident of the flood. So the flood was a worldwide flood and after that time God made a promise that the world would never be destroyed that way again. And in Genesis 9 he said, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my permanent promise to you and to all the earth. So what God is saying is he is a promise keeping God. And we can believe that he will keep every promise he makes and we can believe that all of his promises will be sufficient for our life. Now that sets the stage for our scripture. And again I'm going to be reading it from the Christian Standard Bible. And we're going to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And it sets the stage for us to look at very briefly this morning. These promises that are sufficient for our life. Simon Peter writes and says, "Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God, of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. There's that scripture verse that we claim every day this week. Then verse 4 says, By these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Now what does Peter say about the promises of God, that we can claim them as being sufficient for all of life? Well, he says to us that then He has given us Very great and precious promises. Now notice how he describes those. They are precious promises that God gives to us. Then if that's not enough, he says, they are great promises. He uses the word mega. Mega, big, large, huge, great. And if that's not enough, he says, very great and precious promises. Those are the promises that God gives to us. That ensures that we are adequately sufficient for life and godliness. For everything that comes our way, God provides for us. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we also find Peter giving us three reasons why we can believe that these promises are sufficient. I just want to mention those very quickly. First of all, God's promises are certain. We live in in a culture today... In which words come very cheaply. We live in a culture in which we have seen, absolutely lived out, the old saying that says promises are made to be broken, right? You know, people stand before me and they take vows of marriage to love one another for a lifetime. And those promises are broken oftentimes. People make promises to you all the time that they will do this for you at a certain time. They will, they will love you unconditionally. They will take care of you. They will be your friend. They won't share this gossip. All those kinds of things. People make promises all the time, and they're broken. In fact, somebody made a list of the ten most common promises broken. They call them lies in America. See if you can identify with these. Number one, the check is in the mail. This day, this day of electronic banking, that one might not be as appropriate as it was a long time ago, but the check is in the mail. Number two, your table will be ready in a minute. Number three, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Number four, it's not the money, it's the principle of the thing. Right. Number five, how about this one? I just need a minute of your time. I know when somebody pokes their head in my door at my office and they say, You got a minute? I automatically click forward and I think that's thirty minutes to an hour and a half at least, right there. Okay? Have you got a minute? How about this one? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Number seven, if you aren't completely satisfied, your money will be cheerfully refunded. You've been through a hassle lately to get something refunded? How about this one? I promise you the light was still green when I went through that intersection. You have to eat and you say, you get this one, I'll pay next time. Right? Or number 10, I'll start my diet tomorrow. And for all of you who brought all this great food for the faculty lounge, it was absolutely fantastic. But you helped me go back on my diet. Thank you for that. Well, the reality is we live in a culture where promises are broken every day. Can we rely upon anybody to be faithful and true to those promises? One person. That's God. He will be faithful and true to His Word. Why? Because that's His nature. The Bible tells us in Numbers and Kings God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should change His mind. Does He speak and then not act? Does He promise and not fulfill? Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave. You see, his promises are sufficient for us because God's promises are certain. In a culture in which lies are proficient and promises are broken, you can depend upon one person to keep his promise and that's God. He cannot lie. Every promise has been fulfilled of all the promises that he has given. Second thing Peter says is that God's promises, though, are conditional. This is sometimes where we have problem accepting, believing, claiming, and seeing that God has been faithful to fulfill His promises. They oftentimes have a condition upon them. Like in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, great passage of Scripture, one we really ought to be praying and claiming right now for our nation. And that is that God promises to hear our prayers And bless us as we look at America and we pray for it with a great sense of revival. Well, we ask, why isn't that happening? Why isn't that taking place? Well, we forget the conditional part of it. It begins with if God's people do some things. If my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, God says. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. It's just like prayer. Last three weeks we talked about prayer and some concepts about prayer. And oftentimes, why aren't our prayers answered the way we want them to? And does God hear and answer? And we talked about the fact that they are conditional upon praying in his name and his will. We looked at John 15:7. Jesus says, Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And we want to claim that. But oftentimes we fail to see the if part of it at the beginning. If you remain in me and my words remain in me. In you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. The same is true with God's promises. His promises oftentimes come with a condition. If you do this, then I promise that I will do this. And the condition for us, the ultimate condition for us to see God's promises fulfilled and remain absolutely sufficient for our life is that we live in the relationship with God that's real and meaningful by abiding in Jesus Christ. In other words, we have that constant relationship that we build every day. We didn't just one time commit our life to Christ by faith and walk an aisle and be baptized. But we live every day in an obedient relationship with God. And that's the condition He puts upon these promises. When you boil all those promises and all the conditions down, it's basically one thing, worded in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places, but it boils down to one basic truth. And that is we have to live in Jesus Christ in relationship with God. You can't expect God to bless you with promises unless you're living in relationship with Him. And so that's how His promises, why His promises are conditional and sometimes why We don't see them that way and understand them that way. Then Peter gives us the third reason why we can believe that God's promises are sufficient. And that is that God's promises reveal His character. We've already looked at the Scripture in the Old Testament that says God will not lie. He will not change. He does not lie. And all of His promises, so far everything He's promised has come true. And He does not lie. Peter touches on three important aspects of God's character that helps us understand why these promises are sufficient for life. Number one is because of God's grace. Peter began this letter in verse 1 by saying, it's addressed to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. You see, the, the, the focus there is that those people to whom he wrote this letter were recipients of that letter because they were recipients of God's grace. God is always the one seeking us, loving us, extending grace to us, even when we don't love him and when we don't seek him. The Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, not by our works of righteousness, but according to his mercy are we saved. See, it's not what we do, it's what God does for us that reveals His grace. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what God did was He sent Jesus to the cross to meet His demands of righteousness so that God could have relationship with us. And when He looks at us, He does so through the filter of righteousness. And that righteousness is not ours, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here's what God promises to do through his grace. He has promised to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. He has promised to take your sin and hide it behind his back. He has promised to take your sin and cast it into the deepest part of the sea. Now, what's God doing in those three actions? Removing it as far as the east is from the west, hiding it behind his back, and casting your sin into the deepest part of the sea. He's removing that sin from his sight and from his presence so that we remain righteous in his sight. And that reveals to us God's grace. See, we really don't deserve anything, and God really doesn't owe us anything but in his grace and in his mercy, he gives us what we need salvation, the blessings of life, all the promises that we need, and as our scripture said, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. Well, that leads to Peter's second point. We can believe that these promises are sufficient because of God's goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life because of his glory and goodness. You see, one of the pictures that we always need to have about God is to know that God is a good God. And his goodness is revealed through his love and his mercy and his grace He's also a God of judgment. He's a God of wrath. But he's a God who is a good God. And that goodness shines forth in everything that he does for us. In his goodness, he loves us unconditionally. In his goodness, he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to be judged. In his goodness, he loves us even when we sin now. And he provides forgiveness for us. Even now when we sin because we still aren't perfect yet. Our salvation has not been made complete and perfect. So everything that we receive is based upon the goodness of God. That God is good and he wants to bless you with the abundance of his goodness. And you have to trust in that. That his promises are sufficient because God is good. Many of our children surprised us, right, Allison, by having this verse learned by the end of the first day. And I try to make excuses. Okay, well, it's in the Christian standard version. I'm not familiar with that. You know, if I did it in the NIV, maybe I might learn it quicker or whatever. Bottom line is, you know, these kids were just eager to hear that word and eager to learn it. But it has played over and over and over in my mind. It becomes so real. Just think about that. He has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. And what's the last phrase? And goodness. He gives us everything we need in life because he is a good God. So it's through his grace and through his goodness. And then thirdly, through God's glory. That's the other word here in that last phrase. Through his glory and his goodness. That affirms the promises. Through God's precious promises you may participate in the divine nature, he said in verse 4. What's Peter talking about? He's talking about the fact that before we came to faith in Christ. And if you're outside of faith in Christ right now, you're still living this way. The DNA of Adam, the first man who fell, sin, is in your life and ruling your life. you got that sin DNA In your life. But when we come to faith in Christ, it's replaced with a new nature. Rather than a sin nature, we have a righteous nature in our life. And that means that we don't take delight in sin, we don't take pleasure in sin. It bothers us, it disturbs us. The sin out there in the world that we see bothers us. Most importantly, the sin that comes out in our own life. Bothers us. But it's because of God's glory. That he wants revealed and reflected in our life. He has put the DNA of his nature and his character in our life. And that we live our life to his glory. Looking like a child of God. So those are three valid reasons that Peter gives us. That's why we can claim the promises of God as being sufficient for everything that life throws our way. But here it is once again. To claim those promises, there is a condition. And that is you have to be in relationship with God. I read this week that the IRS is looking for thousands and thousands of Americans. Now, some of them they're looking for because they haven't paid their taxes in a while, Okay. But this article was about the fact that they are looking for thousands and thousands of Americans who have tax refunds available to them, and the checks that were mailed to them came back because of an insufficient address or wrong address or whatever. And they are looking for you to see if you want to accept your your income tax refund. That article said that since 2000, since the year 2000, Two and a half billion dollars has gone unclaimed. Now wouldn't you like to know whether the government owes you money or not? Well you can go to www.irs.gov to see if you're on that list. Now here's the analogy for us. God has some wonderful wonderful promises in store for us. Tremendous blessings. They are all Yes, in Jesus Christ. But they're conditional upon the fact that we live in a faith relationship with God. Living in that DNA. Exhibiting that DNA of Christ in our life. So if you want to claim these promises of God, then you have to be in relationship with God. So that He can bless you with these promises. On Wednesday of this week, as we do each week in Bible school, we share the plan of salvation with our children. Ms. Allison had groups by group by group during the mission time in which she shared the plan of salvation. And I just want to share with you what we shared in that plan of salvation. Because some of you are here with children who indicated they wanted to talk about making that decision. Or they were ready to make that decision. Or they had questions about that decision. And I want you adults to hear I want them to hear again, but I want you adults to hear this in case they ask you about this, okay? So we share this simple plan of salvation. It's A, B, C, D. A stands for admit to God that you are a sinner, and then repent and turn away from your sin. See, Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned, everybody has sinned. Everybody except Jesus Christ who walked the face of this earth has sinned, except for Jesus And so we need to repent from that sin. It's more than just feeling sorrow about the fact that we've sinned. But it really paints a picture of the fact that when we're in sin, we're walking this way away from God. When we repent, we do an about-face and we come back towards God. That's what it means to repent. That we acknowledge that we've sinned, we repent, and we turn away from the sin. Then B stands for belief. We have to believe that Jesus is God's Son and accept God's gift of forgiveness from sin. The scripture that was given was Acts 4.12. Very, very important verse of scripture. It tells us that there, Jesus is the only name given among men by which we might be saved. So there are a lot of different people who have a lot of different theories about how you can be saved. There's only one way and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. If God had multiple ways in which you could get to heaven, why would he have sent his son through the agony of the cross just as one other option? If good enough had been good enough, then he wouldn't have had to send Jesus to the cross. There's only one way to experience salvation, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son. Then the C part of this plan is that you have to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Romans 10, 9-10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your mouth you confess with your heart you believe. In the 9 o'clock service we baptize a young adult. First question I asked him this morning in the baptistry and anybody that I baptize is, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Because they're taking a public stance with baptism, identifying with Jesus Christ. And I want them to respond by saying, yes I do. And see that's what you do when you confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. You make a public declaration of the fact that He is your Savior. And then we added the letter D to it. And that is simply demonstrate your faith in Jesus by being baptized and living for Him. See, that means you've you, you got to live like you have that DNA of God in your life because you've been born again. You're a child of God. You're not the same person you were before you accepted Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is your Savior. You're living in relationship with Him. You're in relationship with God. God's blessing you. And you demonstrate your, your attitude and your life for Him by how you live. The DNA of God shows forth in your life. Our prayer is that there will be many who will make this decision in days and weeks to come. Next Sunday is our last Sunday in worshiping here in this worship center before we move to the fellowship hall for about six, seven weeks for the renovation project uh, of our sanctuary. New paint. A new carpet, fixing up the pews, all that needs to be done after being in it for 23 years. And I'm hoping that when we move back in here, at the end of summer, we will be ready to baptize a lot of, a lot of our children who have made that decision during the weeks that follow up, doing Kids Club and uh, all the activities that take place, Kids Salt and other things for our children, for our activities. And there might be adults or older youth even who worked in Bible school who haven't made that decision who need to make that decision. So we want to thank God for a wonderful week of Bible School for the way that He gave us one verse of Scripture that opens up the door to so many wonderful blessings from God. And look forward to seeing decisions made for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this week of Bible School. We thank You first of all that You made it possible for us to have this wonderful week. Thank You for all the volunteers who made it possible as they gave of their time. Thank You for parents who shared their children with us this week. I thank you for the boys and girls who were here, uh, who learned about Jesus, who heard about Jesus. And some of them affirmed their belief in him. Others said, I want to know more about him. And some said, yes, I'm ready to talk about making that decision. Father, I pray that these seeds of faith have been planted in fertile soil. And we will see the harvest coming in your time and for your glory. Thank you, Father, that your every promise is sufficient for our life in this world for all godliness through your son Jesus.